Welcome to another edition of the Skyline Podcast. I'm spoiling y'all right now. This is the third podcast this week. Joining me today, the general manager of the Toronto Blue Jays, Amin Liagati. Amin, how are you doing today? I'm excellent. It's a pleasure to be here. So you're you're currently the Toronto GM, but what I don't think a lot of people know is that you started in Baltimore. You were in Baltimore, I believe, late 2002 into early 2003. You replaced Jangles um, in Toronto. So you're one of the you're one of those few GMs that have sort of switched teams. Do you think that if you had stayed in Baltimore for probably three or four seasons, it would have been more difficult to to move to Toronto because you jumped at that chance to move to Toronto? Yeah, it was it was already a hard decision. Well, I started that was my first experience with this game was when I joined when Mike brought me in. And I spent uh, spent a lot of lot of nights, like up till one, two in the morning. Like it was, it was crazy because I, I was trying to understand the game. Had, had no idea what was going on. So I got to know like every single player on that Baltimore team in like a month, a month and a half of, of real life that I was their GM. So it was already hard enough when the Jays opened up. It took me like a, a few hours to be like, yeah, just just do it because I was so invested in that team already. So it was already hard enough. I couldn't imagine being like three, four years deep into Baltimore. Um, that I would have, uh, that I may not even jump ship. I don't know. It would have been a really tough decision for sure. You were part, were you part of Baltimore when they made the run to the playoffs back in two thousand two? No, when I got when I got Baltimore, they were crap. And then the following year, they we started I think okay before I moved to the Jays, and then they won the ship, and I don't know the next year. <laughs> so yeah, I, they beat the uh, they beat the Angels in seven. The Angels were up three one in that series. JP got gifted that Baltimore team, and uh, got gifted that championship. Yeah, I don't even know how. Honestly, when I left that team, it's not like they were so good, but um, a lot of the guys that I remember bringing over that were like low pot because I had no idea what I was doing, so I was looking at. And maybe it's the right strategy, but I was looking a lot at like the player stats in AA and AAA when I was making when I was making trades, and uh, some of those guys turned out to be pretty good. I remember a guy named Witten was like a third baseman, and he was he was great for a couple of years, and they all died off really quick. But yeah, I think they performed really well for uh, for JP. So I was really pissed off when uh, when they won. It's annoying. Yeah, that uh, that 2004 uh, Orioles team was one of the better teams in Orioles history. Greg Whitlock, four and a half WAR. Bobby Rogers had a uh, four WAR. Uh, they also had a couple of those um, players that we traded uh, to them that ended up killing us in the postseason. Uh, uh, Joe Richards, that that star third baseman, was on that uh, was on that Orioles team. So it's definitely interesting to to think about getting to know an entire um, franchise front and back, know everyone in the organization, and then up and move in game a few months later. Yeah, it was tough, man. It was tough, but Jays only been there for. Like I said, one and a half months of a real life. I think maybe even not even a full month. I can't remember. Um, it was already tough, but it was uh, it was good timing for it to come up for me to get the Jays. So worked out well, I think. <laughs> so since you have been to Toronto, you have made some big moves, um, both acquiring and sending away. A couple of those big moves that come to mind uh, that have paid off. The Dan Haynes trade when uh, Boston was going through their soft rebuild. You've jumped at that chance to both make a division rival worse and make yourself better. Um, but at the same time, you've also made a couple moves when you've been sitting in contention. You you traded away Sam Manzo last year at a time where you finished fourth in the division, only 10 games back. Um, so have you ever thought about, okay, this is the time where I'm going to push all my chips in the middle, or maybe we just need to blow this up and restart? Because this has been a team that 
has been continually good, never bad, never great. Yeah. No, I hear you. I feel like I was never really in a position to like blow it up until maybe two, three years ago. And then by that time, I'd really spent all my time kind of building it up. So it just didn't feel right to, to blow it up again. And I also didn't feel like uh, I was good enough to Manzo trade, for example, that I was good enough to really go anywhere, even if I made the playoffs. So why not try and you know get get rid of some of the or move some of those pieces and get something in return? I know D. Rich obviously has different thoughts about it, but uh, yeah, that was kind of the the thought process and blowing it up. I don't think really is an option because I just built it up, and then yeah, just trying to just trying to make sure my farm is good as this thing moves along, and and hopefully you know a couple of guys come in. Eggerding would have been nice to hang on to, and and if he uh, if he didn't get injured, but get a couple of guys that and go into the rotation or just some big bats, and I think that can make a big difference on my team. And rather than trying to move all my my starting pitchers and all these young guys to get them, I'd rather just build them up organically, kind of like what uh, Dustin does with his uh, with his rotation. Anyway, I will. Um, we'll we'll talk about the Eggerding trade. We'll talk about Drich. We'll talk about that in a sec. Um, but something that you, you you said you you didn't feel like you'd go that far in the playoffs. Did that have to do with having to face a very strong Montreal team? Or does it have to do that the New York Mets continually boast one of the best pitching staffs in the league led by one of the best pitchers in Sky history? Yeah, I mean, it's got a, both, both of those things. And I'm like looking at my own team. And even Manzo, like for me, he was a 5 ERA guy for the last two years. So, you know, that doesn't really make uh, <laughs> make an ace. So me, I just didn't. I didn't feel like even letting him go was that um, that kind of detrimental to the team. And I had young guys that that needed the time. And yeah, going up against the Mets and uh, Montreal and some of these other teams, I just I didn't think I'd have much of a much of a shot. So I'm trying to really what I'm by strategy is to kind of build the team that's really really good for two or three years. And if I have to wait a couple more years to do that, then then I'm good. I think this game is pretty cool in that way where you can kind of. You know, figure out what you want to do with like your salaries and your money. And you see me talking about it a couple of times. Actually, I front load a lot of contracts. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, uh, just looking at like this uh, this current Travis Doherty uh, contract, where he's making uh, fourteen million this year, and then over the last three years, the contract making eleven and a half total. So yeah. that that's something I I honestly expect more GMs to do, especially when they have. The, the current cap space. Like we've seen it like sort of uh, with Colorado when they signed um, Gomez in free agency. They, they had that huge cap hit uh, in years one and year three. They sort of brought it back a bit for year two, where year two is literally half of what it was um, in year one, 23 million compared to, to 45 million. But when you've got that, that gaping cap space when you've got all these young players, I'm surprised that more people don't go out and try to sign that Doherty type extension or even a, a Gravel type contract, maybe without the opt out. Yeah. <laughs> the opt out. Yeah. Yeah. The opt out there was, there were so many guys bidding for him and he seemed to really want that opt out. And what I was thinking to myself is like, even if he opts out, I don't really care, you know, one way or the other. Cause Gravel, I've always loved Gravel. He was like in my minor league team with Baltimore. <laughs> he was a reliever at the time. So I've always wanted him back. I tried a couple of times. Uh, I almost made a deal with Baltimore a couple of years ago, and then I went with Page instead. That was a huge mistake. Um, but yeah, so I figured put him in there, get him for, for one year, and then if he opts out, which I actually don't think he will. I know you made a comment on one of the podcasts 
that you thought like for sure he's going to opt out. I don't know if you could maybe give the game too much credit, but they might only see the 28 million in front of them in, in 2014. So either way for me though, if he opts out or doesn't opt out, I'm, I'm good with it. I prefer to keep him cause I, I love the guy, but uh, if he opts out 28 million bucks back in the bank. So, <laughs> and I got, it's the, the young starters that got to come up. My ultimate plan with Gravel is to kind of stick him in the, in the pen by 2015, maybe even 2014 as a, as a setup guy. And you, and you also have Dave Bakey, who signed that uh, extension, $44 million over three years. But again, $26 million in year one. So you're definitely making the use of front-loading those contracts to sort of even out uh, the money. So I say props to you uh, on that. So sure. next, one of, yeah. um, one of your young studs that's upcoming, a, a top 100 prospect, Orlando Meza. By all metrics, looks fantastic. Has hit at every level of the minors. Very good personality, elite speed, great in center field. Might not uh, as a left-handed outfielder, he's going to have his issues with lefties. But then you look at who he was traded for. Kyle Egerding was okay. traded in December of 2011 after one of the many, many podcasts in which D. Rich, Trent, and I said, "You've got too many pitchers. Trade a pitcher. You trade Egerding, and then this happens." So, first off, when you made the deal, what did you see from Egerding? What did you see from Meza? Second of all, knowing what you know now, knowing that Egerding is still out a year with a torn UCL and Meza is 22, has been hitting well at AAA, is this a trade that you make again? Hell no. You can give me three Mazas and I would make that trade again. If I, knowing, knowing what I know now. So, I'll answer part number two uh, first. I mean, I love starting pitchers, so I, I value them way more than, than outfielders. Meza is obviously turning out to be a great player, but. This is the guy, like, Eggerding is the guy that I keep drafting fucking 30 pitchers every draft to get one of those guys and I end up trading him away. And, and when I traded him, he was 50, maybe 55 pot for my uh, scout. And I kind of been running through the same problem the last couple of years where I've got too many guys to protect and I don't have enough room. So I try to move guys. And as much as I really liked Eggerding, like his, his pot numbers weren't, weren't crazy so i figured hey why not seems like a fair deal did it and like and then within obviously a couple of weeks like real life after that the guy just started going up the going up a chain so it was uh, really annoying to watch <laughs> now i'm gonna have to see it for the next 10 years probably dominate the league but uh yeah certainly not a trade i would make again man i would love to have Egerdine on my team be a great to be a great addition to a, a nice young rotation that uh that Dustin has that I could have had. I mean, just looking at the ratings, not not the performance, because we can't judge Eggerding on his performance quite yet. I don't even think he has uh, eight career professional innings. But do you know who he reminds me of just looking at the ratings? Pond, man. No? A man, Pond, yeah. 100%. A, a man that you have to face probably about three or four times a year. Um, I, I have to I have to face a Pond-like player in Alvarado probably three or four times a year. We have Josh Phillips. But what's it like having to to play the, face the same pitcher? You come in to Toronto in 2003, and Ponce has just come on in his start. He's 27. You're thinking to yourself, okay, he's probably got another five or six years of dominance. Another five years goes on. Still dominant. You're like, okay, he's probably going to fall off any time now. Ponce is now 37. He had an OSA bump during our last Deverport. What is it like facing this player every single time you face a divisional opponent and thinking, you know what? Screw this guy. Screw Brandon, screw Pond, screw the Mets, screw everything with the Mets. W what's that like for you as someone that has to face the Mets 12 <laughs> times a year? 
It sucks, man. It sucks. So you, yeah, you look at the schedule and you're like, oh, I'm playing the Mets. Please, no pawns, no pawns. And you know what, what, what's funny is sometimes it doesn't show up that you're facing pawns. But sure enough, fucking Brandon finds a way to get him in there. Or maybe he's got a four-man rotation going or most highest rested. I don't know. But even when he's not on the schedule for you to face him, you end up playing him. And, and of course, he, he beats you every fucking time. So I was telling you before, the one time that I remember beating pawns was either game seven or game five of the the playoffs when Manzo actually took him out and that was a that was an exciting night and then I got crushed by Montreal in the next series but Manzo the guy I traded last year was uh, was the guy that took out Pons in the playoffs so that was that was probably honestly the only time I think I may have beaten him I don't remember <laughs> remember even like getting a couple of runs off of Pons the guys I'm surprised I'm surprised I didn't that didn't get Manzo a uh, a career contract yeah, I mean no, beating that's... Pons in a decisive game that that's that's something yeah, it's it's something I was I was really crying when I when I let Manzo go. That was uh, that uh, really pulled down the heartstrings. That win, man, it was awesome. Yeah, just looking at uh, this, it looks like it was that 2010 Game Five in New York, no less. Yeah. Toronto beat New York in five, loses to Toronto or losing to Montreal, excuse me, um, in six. Yeah, we had a good so, team here. We had a good team that year. We could have done some damage, but yeah, Montreal. Uh, Montreal just finds the recipe, man. That guy's been, uh, since Jangles come back and taking him over, they're just, you look at the team and you're like, ah, they're, you, know, you should be able to beat him, but he's found uh, some kind of secret sauce that makes that team tick. It's good. Um, a player that I don't think gets enough love. I've talked about him on the pod. I've talked about him in general just because no one talks about this guy. Rafael Pisano is the best player no one talks about. I've been saying this for years. Yes, over that. the past three seasons. He has nearly 15 war, 4.6 war in 2010, 4.2 war in 2011, and 5.1 war back in 2012 last season. He's on pace for five war yet again this year. And if not for this really, really good player named Silky Flores, Pisano would probably have a silver slugger uh, or two at this point. What, what do you have to say to, to all the people out there that do not know the name Rafael Pisano? Yeah, don't, you, you'll know him when he plays you. So any team I play... Pretty much every series, the guys, uh, the guys hitting a bunch of home runs, getting a bunch of RBI. So they'll know him. But you better, uh, you better respect uh, the Pisano there. Uh, he's been an awesome guy, man. Like last year, I think was the first year I started playing him just every day. I, I was before not playing against lefties, and I think he hit pretty well against uh, lefties as well last year. I'm surprised his like his defense is not what uh, what I envisioned for him last year based on his ratings, but the guys at the plate, he's just been, he's been awesome. So it's fun to, and he's a draft pick of mine, which, uh, which I specifically actually remember he was lower. He was like a 55 pot guy. And I took him in the second round because all his, like all his, um, contact gap, home run power, all his ratings were like really high, but his, his pot wasn't that high. So I decided to gamble. And I remember actually like making a note and seeing if it worked. And with this guy, it worked. It was, he's been, uh, He's been great. He's like the other Jay that I had that when I took over the team, he was a legend. Uh, Yaldine. So he kind of reminds yes. me of uh, Yaldine. Gilberto so. Yaldine. What uh, a guy. Yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah, looking at Pisano, he started 34 games against left-handed hitters last year. Had a 995 OPS in 148 plate appearances. And that's on a 280 BABIP. So it's not like he was getting lucky. 11 home runs against lefties last year for a left-handed hitter. That is unprecedented. And he, he's just someone that's improved every year since 2008. 
uh, where he got a he got a cup of coffee every year since then. His hits have increased. His home runs have increased. His RBIs have increased. His walks have increased all but one year. His he's been cutting down in his strikeouts. He's been getting better at stealing bases, and his OPS is getting better. This is just someone who, at 28 years old, is probably hitting his prime. And that is scary to think of someone that has already had three seasons of four plus war under his belt. Yeah, it's gonna be awesome. He's under contract for one more year, and then I gotta pay the man. And uh, another player that was on that 2010 team, uh, we we can talk about this just because you know how much I love this guy. I don't know how many other people know how much I love this guy. <laughs> Slugger Steve Warren. <laughs> yep. one, of, one of the best pure hitters in baseball for years came up with Toronto had two really good years there in uh, 09 and 2010 before getting traded to Kansas City uh, between 09 and 2010 an 880 OPS 5 war coming from the DH spot can, can you tell the league just how long I was after slugger Steve Warren uh, two seasons every night every single night hey how about Warren when's Warren coming over when are you sending me Warren so every night was worn. Every night I rejected him. It was good. But, uh, you know, one of those times when I came back to you and said, hey, Warren's available, you uh, you ghosted me. <laughs> I did. I did. I, uh, you told me Warren was available. You told me the asking price, and I balked at it. <laughs> That's it. So you didn't want him that badly, but you probably would have paid it two years before. Hey, here, here's the thing. You put him on the block when he was declining. Yes. That's but true. you were able to move him. And then... Kansas City got him and then traded him to the Yankees and then traded back for him because that's what Kansas City does. <laughs> he destroyed it with the Yankees, though. and then I think He, he did. And then it. the Royals <laughs> got him back and he decided not to, not to hit anymore. <laughs> yeah, it's awesome. So this is what everyone's wondering about. I've told two people that you were, on, that you were coming on this podcast. I told Mike, who I believe you're good friends with. Are you not? Yeah, oh, yeah. I've known Mike for, since high school. Or, yeah, like towards the end of high school, my, uh, my wife and him were in the same grade. Interesting. Uh, before we move on, do you want to talk about that? Is it is it weird? So we know that the two Jasons are friendly. They they've got their poker night. Is it nice having someone that you can talk um, skyline baseball with that doesn't just look at you like you have four heads? Totally. And Mike, Mike and I go to like a lot of soccer games together. So <laughs> usually the drive down is all uh, is all about sky. And it's so funny. Like you catch yourself talking about this thing like it's a real thing. <laughs> and I mean, it, obviously we were playing the game and stuff, but it's just so funny. Like, and the, the element that you've added with like the podcast and the, doing the live games, it's uh, it's a really cool thing to be uh, cool thing to be a part of. Cause when you, like you say, when you're talking about it, people that know it don't look at you crazy. And just like you're talking about major league baseball. I talk about sky more than I talk about major league baseball. So it's pretty, it's pretty awesome. Yeah, Sky is this perfect fantasy world where we don't have to worry about like suspensions and, and bad things because bad yeah. things don't happen in the Sky world. The only bad things that happen are people signing ex- extremely cheap contracts for the California Angels. <laughs> no comment there, no comment. Um, this one you better have a comment with. And like I was saying, so Trent and Mike were the two people I told you were going to be on this podcast. And I told both of them, what's the, what's the thing you're most excited for? And they both said the same exact thing. What is he going to say about D. Rich's comment on the season preview pod? So, Amin, <laughs> what do you have to say about D. Rich's choice words for the state of the Toronto Blue Jays? Uh, I, I, for, I'll lead with this. I think D. Rich, I think D. Rich is, is, thinks he's too smart for his own good, and it, and it gets in his way sometimes. But I love the man. He's helped me out a lot since I, uh, since I joined the league. And I actually literally was laughing my ass off during the pod. So I took no offense to any of it. And I thought it was funny. And I think 
from his perspective, it's it, this is how he sees it. Like this fucking guy is sitting on these starting pitchers, fucking move them and, and go for it. But that's, you know, different strokes for different folks, man. That's not how, uh, that's not how I'm going to build my team. So, um, what I would say to DRH is just that, man. It's like just different people will build their teams differently. And if I took a real shot at him, I'd say, you know, it's kind of hard to take advice from somebody who doesn't have any rings and is built for the regular season. And ever since I've been watching, they've had really good regular season teams. And when it comes to the playoffs, they just don't have what it takes. And, and D rich, I don't think is, I think he's too stubborn to go and get what he needs. And he's kind of stuck to the same philosophy of, of team. And I don't think it's working for him for the playoffs, but you know, I'm a, uh, what did he call me? The smartest uh, retard he knows. So I think that was about it. But I can't tell. Are you talking about the Angels with that roster construction or the Braves? Because we no. fall in the same boat. The Braves. <laughs> Very specifically the Braves. And, you know, a, a little sprinkle of the Angels. But I think, you know, honestly, every time I look at your team, it's uh, that team That team is, is, is good in the majors, is good in the minors. I think D. Rich, to be honest, is probably going to have a pretty rough couple of years. And he may end up blowing it up over the next little while. We'll see. But. Because when you look at his team, it's not doesn't have the same uh, same depth as uh, some of the other teams that uh, that are out there, or certainly the teams that he would have had a few years ago. So I'm not I'm not too uh, I'm not too be too harsh on uh, on D Rich, although maybe I was. But that was that was funny nonetheless, and I and I get exactly where he's coming from because he tells me these things not you know maybe that uh, <laughs> not aggressively, but he tells me the same things every time we're talking about like trading because he was also involved in the Manzo deal and I think it's a little bit of sour grapes on his part too of, of me not trading him there and trading him to like his arch rival in, in Pittsburgh so that probably had some uh, something to do with his uh, with his choice words as well so uh, 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 story time as yeah. I'm trying to find words that's not the first time that sour grapes in a trade regarding Pittsburgh have been involved with you has it fucking hell no can oh, you, you give us some insight on the previous time a trade involved Pittsburgh and some sour grapes? And you were in there too, and I, had some I was in that grapes against you. So this is my first year in Toronto, and so I guess I've been playing the game for you know, like I said, two months or whatever it was. So I don't know anything, and so I'm trying to move Rab, who was a, a great player, was injured. Remember, was before back. this, you had acquired Eric Rab. No, was that not you? No, he was. So, he okay, so then here's the thing. This is when, so I, I then I pinpointed where it was. Jangles must have left. So Eric Rabb was acquired July 22nd, 2003. He was traded not three weeks later. So that right there is when he left in between yes. that trade. Rob, yes, Jangles had acquired Rob. That's right. The same year. I forgot about that. He'd, he'd given up so a, back ton for a ton. Yes. Yeah. He had given up an absolute ton. Eric Rabb had suffered post Post concussion syndrome in the in spring training, he was out seven to eight months, so he was done for pretty much the entire year, and he was an expiring contract at that time. Forgot about that, yeah, like tons of picks. Man, you just reminded me of that. Yeah, so he'd given up a ton in that same season, and he, when I went to re-sign him, he didn't want to talk to me, and that was the, my first experience of like a free agent and and going to re-sign him. So I'm like, fuck, this guy just gave up all this talent, and this guy won't sign, so I put him on the block. And then Joe reaches out. So my conversation with Joe, um, my conversation with Joe was basically Joe said, oh, if he doesn't want to talk to you, and I think I obviously I told him that, then that's it. He's worth nothing. He's worth like a, a mid-round pick because once he doesn't want to talk and he wants to go to free agency, no other team can, can re-sign him. So the motherfucker told me that, knowing full well, I'm sure, that it's not true. 
So he made it seem like he would give me, he literally, I think he said, I'd give you like a 14th rounder for him. And then he left it off with like, don't trade him without coming back to me or something, or let me have a last crack at it. And then, so you and I were chatting. I don't remember our exact conversation, but I'm sure you, you tried to screw me as best as you could as well during that time. And you gave me like, offered me like a ninth rounder and some nobody. So I gave you a ninth rounder salary to even it out. And a picture that you had liked when you were with uh, with Baltimore. Yeah, I remember that vividly. Forty pot guy. <laughs> sounds about uh, right. Huh? That sounds. That probably sounds about right. That sounds like something I'd do. Like decent stats, and that's kind of what I was. I remember this vividly. That's what I was uh, basing my decision on. So, and then you and I do the deal. So there goes that. And then fucking Joe comes to me all like livid. I told you to come back to me before you make the trade. This is not how we do things in this league and blah, 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 blah. I basically responded to him like, you offered me a 15th rounder or 14th rounder. Clearly, I got way better than what you thought there was value. So you tried to basically, I kind of told him like, were you trying to just like fuck me or what was the deal? And he kind of like went off on another rant. I went on a rant on him and we just, it was never good after that. I was just like, that is not cool, especially for the, for the commission of the league to deliberately tell me something that he knows is bullshit. I, that really pissed me off with him. And, and that was it. <laughs> because the thing that then pissed everyone off, everyone else off later is when he re-signed with us. Because mm-hmm. we then a uh, month after acquiring him, we re-signed him to a uh, one-year deal, eventually extended him, went through that whole thing with, uh, with like, California. I think because he wasn't going to re-sign, he, there was a potential he signed with you, right? I mean, so when I, I knew that I knew there was a chance, I also think right. I knew that he was coming back late because um, he was he was a part of that postseason. He was a part of that postseason run, I believe, when we went all of two rounds. Um, but he was good in the postseason for us. He was probably one of the better angel sitters that we've ever had. Um, but I, I went in not expecting him to sign with me. And then I went in one day. He's like, hey, this is what I want. I'm like, I can give you that. Oh, yeah, I see. So you didn't think he would. Uh, I, I just thought it was telling me that everybody knew that there was the chance, whereas Joel was telling me there was absolutely no chance and his value is worth shit. <laughs> That's what pissed me off. I mean, to be fair, his value wasn't all that, but. Well, it was more than a. Yeah. More than a it, was, it was more than a 15th rounder. Yeah. Because there was the chance that he was going to come back. Right. And some. So that was but, the yeah. That was the that was my story. I fucking got pissed off at that deal for a number of days, if not weeks, and then uh, trying to figure out ever since how to control my emotions with this game because <laughs> it's a it's a fun thing to play, man. But you get uh, you get too vested into it sometimes, and you kind of lose a little bit of perspective. Alec, what do you feel? What do you feel if you're if you're David today? If you're Bo- if you're Boston David, where you lose Schaefer to a torn rotating off, which he said yesterday in Slack. Yeah. I am going to blame Trent, Jake, and D-Rich when he suffers a torn rotator cuff. And what do you know happens this him? He tears his rotator cuff. Brutal. Mind you, and this is after giving up eight earned runs in an inning and two-thirds. Against, against the- your Toronto team. <laughs> yeah, it sucks for, for, for Dave, man. Like every – I think this is the third – Starter, he's lost this year. Like a legit. Yeah, Marcotte, uh, Marcotte is on the IL. He's been on the IL since the middle of last year. Uh, he also ruptured his UCL. And McCauley got hurt in spring training. He's uh, down with shoulder inflammation. Yeah, uh, and he was a former J uh, Marcotte, which I which I gave up in the Haynes deal. Which is kind of funny, but yeah, it looks like uh, Marcotte and Turner for for Jim Joseph and Haynes, two players. 
I believe everyone in that trade is still with their franchise, which is weird yeah. to see. It is. I'm trying to move Joseph. So anyone's listening, if you're uh, if you're out there, come get him. So, that, so Jake, let me ask you this about. Uh, it's funny you guys had this thing about uh, Eggerding. I got Mesa, and I'm keeping him until July. But the guy is clearly ready, and he's clearly my best option. What are your thoughts? Maybe we should ask D. Rich. <laughs> so my thoughts on this: He is downright fantastic. He threw 32 games here in AAA so far, 1.4 WAR. He's definitely ready. My question for you is: If you call him up now as opposed to July, how many fewer wins do you think you have with him compared to without him? Yeah, good, good because at, at this point we're already a month into the season. This is where this is this is probably the last chance to do it because it makes no it makes no sense to call him up in June because you're 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 wasting a month for a season. At that point, it's not worth it. Two two months, two and a half months, I can get on board with. So do you think he is that much of an upgrade over, say, some combination of Villarreal, Gallardo, Joseph, and Centerfield? Yeah, I think he is. I think he's probably worth, given he's better on defense, he's a better hitter, it seems. Like, hopefully at the major league level, do the same thing. Maybe he's worth, I don't know, two games over those guys, three games over the next. Like, I don't think I'm going to do it, but I'm, I, I just want to make sure I'm not uh, super crazy for not doing it. I've talked to a couple of guys in the, in the league who've got different opinions on it as well. Uh, but yeah, I just like much prefer to keep him and, and have him for that extra year. He's only 23, so he might be like the youngest Jay mm-hmm. actually be up before he's 23 years old playing. I don't think I've ever done that with with any other guy. But yeah, I think he's going to yeah. a couple of wins, and in that division, it might make or break it. But it very well could. And then the other thing to look at in the North when you've got Boston, who just lost a stud starter, you've got Detroit, who's currently four games over 500, but has a run differential of minus 20. Do you think those two or three games are going to cost you the playoffs? Because if the answer to either of those questions is no, then you keep them in AAA. Yeah, yeah. I think I think hopefully it's going to be myself, New York, and Cleveland is my guess in terms of the top three. But yeah, Boston with that injury, if they start to fall off, I, I don't think Detroit can keep it up for sure. Uh, Montreal, you never know, and Minnesota and the Yankees. Minnesota, I thought would be a lot better, so they could make a run, but. Yeah, I think I'm going to be fine with without him. I'm going to keep him down there until uh, until July, and even when he comes back in July, I'll get a couple of months out of him. Hopefully, I'm in a playoff spot. But I think the guy's uh, the guy's legit, and hopefully, he doesn't get injured like his uh, his trading counterpart Eggerding, and he uh, he actually contributes this year this year, and it makes me feel a little bit better about the whole thing. All right, final question: What yeah. team do you hate facing the most? Do I hate facing? Uh, I think before, no, it's gotta be the Mets. It's gotta be the Mets. It's gotta be the Mets. Besides the Mets. That's the obvious answer. All right. All right. Well, I, I, I really, now I'm going to hate losing to D rich. So I'm going to say Atlanta. I don't want to lose to Atlanta. So I want to beat them. So I'll probably hate playing that team the most. Previously it was Montreal just because I, you think you stock up well against that team I remember one year I tried to put a bunch of lefties to play against them, like left-handed pitchers against those left-handed bats, and he just finds a way to, to, to beat my ass every time. And obviously he beat me in the playoffs too where it counted the most. So playing Montreal, I guess, frustrates me, so it makes me <laughs> not want to play him uh, that much more. And I feel like, you know, um, yeah, he's just the way the team is built. is so uh, He just does it the right way in terms of whatever is, is good for his ballpark and his coaching staff and all that, so he's kind of... Figured out that formula and playing him, you think you're going to beat him and you never do. 
I am all for a Toronto-Atlanta rivalry. We do not have a good rivalry in this league right now. <laughs> I mean, it's the Mets versus everyone else. Everyone hates the Angels. The, people are starting to hate Seattle now. There's no good one-on-one rivalry. Like, can you think of one? Not, uh, to be honest, I think uh, you and the Dodgers, I think, is a pretty yeah. good just because the way yeah. shit goes down, it's like first and third, and he beats you in the playoffs every time. Like first and third, we're both issues. Whoever wins, the other spouts, you know, you rigged it. Yeah. Um, Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh, and the Mets. I think from from what I remember, those were always deep in the playoff kind of uh, matchups. Yeah, uh, those two, those two jump out at me for sure. But yeah, Atlanta uh, and Atlanta, Pittsburgh's a good one too. Yeah, Atlanta, Pittsburgh for sure in that division. Central needs to step their shit up. Yeah, although I think like that uh, rivalry might be uh, dominated by Pittsburgh moving forward because I don't uh, I don't see Atlanta being a being the same team for the next couple of years unless D. Rich does something drastic. Well, those are some uh, those are some fighting words there, Mean. <laughs> well, uh, uh, thank you for uh, joining me on this edition of the Skyline Podcast. Hope you uh, hope you enjoyed yourself today. Thanks, man. Yeah, it was great. Appreciate it. And to the rest of you listening, I will see you guys in Slack. Have a great day.